Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the BME Grad Podcast. I'm Allie. And I'm Brian. On this week's episode, we're talking about pursuing a master's degree or a PhD in biomedical engineering. We're joined by two guests, Travis and Taylor, who met each other while pursuing their PhDs in biomedical engineering at North Carolina State University. Interestingly, while Travis chose to continue on the PhD path, Taylor chose to transition to a master's in BME instead and now works in the medical device industry. This was a healthy debate with differences in perspective shared on why each chose the path they're on and the value they see in it. I know master's versus PhD has always been a question on my mind. So if that's true for you too, listen in. Please enjoy Travis and Taylor. Travis, Taylor, welcome to the BME Grad Podcast. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having us. How are you guys doing tonight? Just deadlines and more deadlines. So just keep insane. Deadlines for the PhD life? Yeah, I'm taking my prelim at the end of the semester. So there's just a lot that's going on to put put into that, essentially. What's your prelim? Uh, the preliminary exam is essentially you do like the the work leading up to what your dissertation is going to be about. So you present uh, basically your research idea and a written proposal before a committee of faculty members, and they basically tell you if your work is worth a PhD or not. And then you work on that until your dissertation. Okay, that's, so that's a big one. <laughs> yeah. So not quite that like final defense, but kind of working up to it. Yeah, right before that. How do you think it's gonna go? Uh, they typically don't let you do the prelim exam until they think you're ready. So I think I'll be fine. Cool. Well, I, I want to get into um, what we plan on talking about today, because I think you both have pretty interesting backgrounds to compare and contrast, as you were telling me. So you both started in the PhD program um, and BME at NC State. And then um, Taylor, you transitioned just into a master's and Travis, you're continuing on with your PhD. So um, just to kind of preface how how we got to PhD, if you could each both just describe a little bit about your undergrad experience, where you went, what you studied, and then why you decided to do a PhD in, in BME at NC State. Lots of acronyms there, but go ahead. <laughs> yeah, so I'm from New Mexico, New Mexico born and raised. So I went to undergrad in, at the University of New Mexico, and I studied chemical engineering. And so the intention from undergrad was I always wanted to do like prosthetics. I thought that was really interesting. So chemical engineering was the degree that I could do at UNM because they had a bioengineering specialization there. And then I got a little bit into research. You know, I had my internships while I was in college and I did research at Sandia National Labs. Did some like bio research at the school as well. Um, but, you know, exiting undergrad, I wasn't too sold on research and I wasn't sure if that was exactly what I wanted to do, but I wanted to give it a shot. So I figured if I, I did the PhD route, I could always, you know, switch to the master's if I didn't enjoy it as much. I came to state because they offered rotations. So um, I didn't have a lot of experience in different fields. And so I kind of wanted to uh, get a broader sense of different topics. So that's kind of how I ended up at state. And uh, that's kind of where I'm at right now. I'm working right now, but yeah, it's pretty much up to date. 
Yeah, that's awesome. So tell me a little bit about the rotation. Yeah, so State offers a rotation fellowship that you can get. Uh Um, So that's how I was able to do that. So it doesn't have anything to do with the professors. They don't have to supply money. So you could, you know, you come in with your own money and um, then you can just, you just contact the professors and say, hey, can I, you know, join your lab for rotations? You pick your own schedule. So what I did, I did three different professors and I think I did about two months with uh, each professor. So this rotation uh, program, is that part of the PhD side of things or the master's side of things? It's part of the PhD side. Okay. I guess I was under the impression like, you know, when you're doing a PhD, you have like this one project that you work through and like the the one big uh, research project that you're um, trying to solve or develop. But this rotation type uh, concept seems like instead of focusing on one thing, you're bouncing around a couple of things. So um, maybe help clear that up for me. Like, how does that work? Yeah, so you can you can kind of join on to a lab whenever you feel like, you know, you found your fit, right? So you're supposed to get in with a permanent lab, uh, the permanent lab by the one year mark into your PhD. So that's kind of like the end deadline. But if you find a lab that you like, you can just say, hey, you know, like, would you be okay with me joining the lab? Obviously, it's depending on the professor if they have funding or not. And so, yeah, it's just it just depends on the on the case, really. Okay, yeah, actually, that makes sense. So this is like earlier on, it kind of gives you a lay of the land. So you're not afraid to commit to one thing that you're not ready for yet. Um, okay, that makes more sense. Like introductory at the beginning. That varies from department to department and school to school. So that's why I really like the BME program. There's all the flexibility there. I'm sure Taylor agrees, but that's like even chemical engineering at NC State is vastly different from that. So that's the only thing I would add. Okay, well, thanks for the background. Travis, what about you? What was your undergrad experience like and how'd you get to uh, to the BME program at State? Yeah, so similar to Taylor, I studied chemical engineering in undergrad as well. I didn't have a biomedical engineering department or a bioengineering department at my school. I went to the University of Maryland, Baltimore County, it's about 10 minutes north of Baltimore, but I'm from Raleigh, but I decided to go out of state. I guess I was a little bit of a rebel, but anyway, <laughs> I did chemical engineering there, but what really sort of pushed me on the research route was not just the program that I was involved in. Uh, there was a scholarship program that I recommend everyone look into called the Meyerhoff Scholars Program, but they basically encouraged us to do those summer research internships or the REUs, the that's short for research experiences for undergraduates. So every summer, uh, I would spend two or three months in a new state. I had friends that went overseas for the summer, but you basically you know, immerse yourself in a research experience, see what you do like, see what you don't like. So I realized that I like working on biosensors and you know, the wearable device sort of field kind of got me into that mix, but from my chemical engineering background and realizing the fact that I want to work on biosensors and healthcare technology, I knew that a crucial component of that was that I needed to have an understanding of the electronics behind these technologies. So chemical engineering didn't really have any electronics. Um, chemical engineering, there is a healthcare or a human aspect to like pharmaceuticals and things like that, but I wanted to do you know, more of those biomedical applications. So I ended up BME at NC State, uh, working with Dr. Michael Danielle, who is in the electrical engineering department and the biomedical engineering department. So that kind of marries 
the the gap in my knowledge that I thought I needed to uh, sort of be an expert in developing biosensors. So grad school for me is more of a tool to, you know, there's something I wanted to, I saw myself being in a career and grad school sort of just fills that gap. So that, or Dr. Daniel's background uh, pretty much enticed me to come here, but just NC State in general, the ecosystem, the resources and support network that they provide. I remember coming on the visit and like a lot of people were doing cool research, but I saw a lot of grad students like spinning off businesses and starting companies from the research that they were doing in lab. So just like that, seeing that like firsthand and talking to those people in the labs that were starting companies was really uh, a really good selling point for me as a prospective grad student. But yeah, I've been enjoying myself since. Yeah, I can see the all the spin outs coming out of the program being a really exciting factor on top of finding the um, subject matter expert you kind of wanted to work under as well. I guess my question for you is like, why not a master's and why a PhD? I guess it all starts back in the undergrad when I was deciding, I guess, what I wanted to do, I guess, after undergrad. I think that's a big debate a lot of people have, <laughs> especially <laughs> in point of the show. <laughs> especially in engineering. So like ever since sophomore year, me and my friends would be you know, studying until 2, 3 a.m. in the library, just debating, should I get a PhD? Should I just get a job? And if I went to the, the direct job route, at least, uh, I felt pretty much limited in the sense. Uh, a lot of the positions, largely speaking, uh, sort of put you on one of two tracks, either senior scientist or management. Uh, I really I like flexibility. I like freedom. I like having the responsibility and ownership and, you know, dealing with the consequences of my decisions and my work. And <clears throat> when I talk to faculty members, grad students, uh, they take ownership of their research. You know, some of them spin off and start companies from it. But, you know, you do become a subject matter, matter expert. A lot of the faculty that I know, like, they do, they do make their, you know, salary from the university, but a lot of them are you know, companies are coming to them because they're the expert at whatever they studied and they're charging $400 per hour for their opinion. So like you study something, you become the expert at it. And like you basically have a lot of flexibility, have a lot of freedom, have a lot of independence and sort of have a lot of say in, you know, what you do with your career. And when it comes to PhD, like you can work, you can go back into industry I think it's easier to you know start a startup because you do have you know subject matter expertise. You can become a professor. You can work in you know the government. So there's just a lot more avenues that I felt opened up to me if I went the PhD route. Uh, I'm sure like there's other ways. There's a lot of different paths to get to the same destination, but the PhD really opens up uh, a lot more doors. Yeah. So definitely. Um... Let me ask a question. Uh, did you ever feel like the PhD could close some doors? Um, because I know that's uh, some concern from some pe people, students looking into that option, right? It's like, oh, am I going to yeah. pigeonhole myself or become too specialized? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, so when it comes to that question, my main advice would be, I don't know why someone would do a PhD for fun. Uh, we joke <laughs> about that yeah. in, in my lab sometimes. I'm like, Oh, yeah, so-and-so is here for fun, but like you really have to know why you're there, like use it as a means to an end. It's a tool. 
But if you're not sitting down and asking yourself those hard questions like, what do I want to do after graduation or what I see myself in five years, uh, the PhD, I mean, you are going to focus on something for five straight years. But at the same time, do become more specialized, but the PhD program, you're surrounded by people that are just as passionate as you, a lot of resources at the university. So there's a lot of opportunity to explore those other interests and make sure that you're not, you know, narrow-minded or myopic in any sense. So mm -hmm. that's sort of like, I think that's where it sort of makes a difference for make sure you're not, you know, one-dimensional, like really explore your interests, mm -hmm. you know, take advantage of a lot of these opportunities and sort of build out sort of the career that you want for yourself because people definitely just want to help you. Yeah, yeah. So I'll actually toss this over to Taylor now. Um, how, what helped you make the decision to follow the master's route and go more into the industry side of things? Because, um, and from my experiences too, right? Like I, I didn't follow the master's or the PhD route. I just went straight into industry. Um, so yeah, what helped make your decision? Yeah, so I think, I mean, having the rotations kind of gave me a lot of perspective on how I felt about research in general. I, I realized I wasn't doing a very good job at research because I wasn't very passionate about it. So I, I, it was kind of like an epiphany moment for me over one of the breaks. I was like, why am I, why is this so hard for me? You know, I've, I've always been like good in school. You know, I, I've never really struggled with subject matters. And um, when I was doing research, it just felt like almost pointless sometimes. Um, I'm sure Travis will disagree with me in this regard. I like learning stuff that's applicable. Um, so that's kind of why I like the masters. Um, I'll, I'll touch on that in a second here, but yeah, essentially that's why I, I switched to the master's program because the research and PhD, you know, you're studying something and you're trying to figure out like, why does this happen or some kind of phenomenon. Um, but you know, how do you apply that to the real world? That's kind of how my brain works. And so the master's program at NC State is all about medical devices and how do you develop, um, how do you understand what the customer wants? You know, you look at, you survey people, you, you figure out the needs, the, what's the problem, how do you solve it? And then you get into all the engineering. So that's where the biomedical engineering comes from. You develop the product. And then there's like the commercialization aspect of it at the very end where you take this device, you figure out what kind of markets it works in, you know, who will be selling this to, like what kind of things do we have to pass requirements? And for biomed, it's usually FDA requirements, crazy class two uh, requirements right. or class three. Right. And then, yeah, you get it into market. So that's, that's kind of why I decided to go from PhD to master's because it was, it was more applicable to the real world. Yeah, it's, it's just a different environment, right? Research versus some of this uh, industry focus. And uh, Ali, it kind of almost sounds like the master's program was like uh, uh, a longer and in-depth version of our senior design. Like, it does, uh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> everything you were explaining, a little bit, you know, on the entrepreneurship, the business side of things and, and going deep into voice of customer and then product design and then specifications. Um, so I want to mind our biases here because three out of the four of us on this call <laughs> yeah. went right to industry and, and a, a, a quote I'm pulling from that is applicable to the real world. So Travis, do, what do you think? What do you think on that? <clears throat> About the real world? Yeah. Like, yeah. What's the real world? Like, um, yeah, masters have... being more applicable to the real world versus a PhD. Uh, what, what's your thought on that? 
I think both sides are right, but the more that I look into industry and the space and the relationship between industry and academia, uh, usually industry pulls the hard work that was completed in academia. I mean, there's a disconnect that a lot of people like doing the science, but they don't like pushing it to commercialization, getting to people's hands. So that's where I think industry comes in. And, you know, there's probably in the tech transfer office, all these great ideas, all these cool technologies that NC State and UNC researchers have produced, but there's no people on the other side that come in and want to do what Taylor did in his master's program and push it off to market. So I think there's a balance. So you definitely need, I think, academia and the PhDs and the researchers and the faculty to sort of advance that basic knowledge. But on the industry side, like I think they're definitely you know, looking for the you know, true problem statements, the markets, and actually pushing stuff into you know, people's hands and commercializing it and, you know, making a profit. So yeah, there's a balance. Both, yeah, both of those are, are crucial and the handoff is crucial. And, you know, I think it's what I'm hearing too. And like, this could just be like my observations, but it's just like what different people are motivated by. Like both mm -hmm. of you have an end goal of like being in the industry in some way, it sounds like. Um, but do you want to be a subject matter expert on the technology in the industry? Or do you kind of want to be, you know, moving the value chain in the industry? And that it kind of sounds maybe that that's the differentiator there. What do you think on that? Yeah, I think I can sort of <clears throat> tackle that. I mean, I think it sort of stems from like what impact you want to have on the world, I guess, when you die. Uh, <laughs> For me, let's go there. Yeah. <laughs> for me, it was just like when it comes to biosensors and you know healthcare in general, um, it's pretty much reactive in a sense. And biosensors, in my mind, essentially inform people about you know their health before things become problematic. Mm -hmm. So, like a lot of what interested me the most, like for any health condition, for any lifestyle habit, if you're happy, you're sad. You know, you're mad at your old roommate or something like that. Like that corresponds to something like a molecule or compound changing your body that can be detected. And what fascinated me is like, you know, we can detect or we can like find these things in the research, but we just don't have the tools to really, you know, extract that from our bodies, translate that into, you know, stuff that humans can understand so that we can change our behaviors and do something healthier. So with biosensors and healthcare technology, I think that's just like, my vehicle to, you know, helping people do something for their health. So when it comes to expertise, I think there is a two-pronged approach to that. Uh, the expertise of business, so the business of science and medical devices and healthcare technology, I think that's just as important as the business of, or the expertise in, you know, the science and what it means and can I look at a research paper in PubMed or Wiley and tell my mom or my grandmother, you know, in plain terms, what they're talking about. So I think there's the balance there, like the business acumen and the sort of research and science acumen. Yeah, I love that. And thanks for telling us your why. That's really inspirational. Um, what are your thoughts, Taylor, on that? I, I would say that there's a lot of benefits that came from the master's program that kind of ultimately draw, like drew me into it. And so, you know, it has to do with medical devices, and that was ultimately my goal. You know, I've always wanted to, I've never known exactly what kind of device I want to make. I think the whole, the process is the fun part, and so, mm -hmm. you know, I'm not really 
swayed one way or the other on any specific device. Um, but I think the main reason that I liked it was, like I said, you know, it's applicable to the real world. And also all the professors or most of the professors that were teaching within the master's program were from industry. So these were people that were experts in, you know, developing products, you know, they came from startups or they work at, um, uh, like, uh, Beckton Dickinson, you know, so like large companies and they have connections too. So once you're leaving the program, you can kind of leverage those people to, you know, to get a job. And so I, I still am in contact with, you know, some of the professors there. In fact, Travis and I were, you know, we were talking to one of the people in the program to get some uh, design cues on some of the stuff that we're working on. So I think that's kind of why I went the master's route. And I think I can relate to that. Um, so less of like a specialty and more so just wanting to be in the industry of biomed and be in the industry of medical devices, right? But for you, like this was an opportunity to get into the industry and learn more about it, be involved, network with the people involved. And so um, this is really actually interesting because neither of you had a BME undergrad, right? And, mm -hmm. and it's an opportunity to get into the industry, learn, be surrounded by these people, be, uh, the projects, products, and then uh, get your own foot in the door. Um, while also having this like higher degree, right? Focusing on different things instead of undergrad or with a lot more of the broader subjects, right? And I think uh, that's a question I ask myself a couple of times, uh, a couple of times a week as well. It's like, do I go back into school or do I, do I want to switch industry or do I want to switch focus, right? Business or, or whatnot. And uh, for anyone out there who's like, feels either stuck or feels like they want to explore something else, higher education, this uh, master's, PhD program, whatever, I think could be an opportunity to do so. Yeah, I just wanna add on that too. The master's program, you know, some of the people that join, right? They are coming from industry. So they work, some of them work nine to five, jo nine to five jobs and they come to class, you know, at six. I actually got an internship through one of the people I knew, one of the students in the, the program. And then from that internship, I was able to get other contacts, you know, the med device sector in Raleigh and in North Carolina is a pretty close knit like group of people. It is. So, you know, my boss at my old job at 410 Medical in Durham knew, you know, my current teachers and then they all recommended me for the current job that I have now. And then, you know, I'm still like looking at other jobs, you know, I'm always seeing what kind of opportunities you're out there. So I can just, you know, text my boss and he knows the the manager at another company and send my resume off. So that's kind of like one of the huge plugs of the master's program is is having that like hands-on experience with people in industry and then having the contacts as well. I love a good networking story. <laughs> <laughs> it, it really is great. I'm all about that life. <laughs> he loves a networking story. <laughs> Okay, really quick, um, because when you said, um, Travis, when you said something about uh, biosensors picking up a chemical when you were annoyed with your roommate, I saw like some expressions <laughs> exchanged. Were you guys roommates? How did you meet? And then, yeah, like what's that been like? I sent out an email to the entire PhD cohort. <laughs> and I said, does anyone want to, you know, be roommates? And Travis was the only person that <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, so I replied to his email about a month later because I realized uh, I'm from Raleigh and I was debating, you know, saving money and just commuting from home. But my parents live probably 20, 30 minutes north from NC State. And I was just like, I am not commuting on, you know, Falls of News or 5.30 yeah. or 4.40. Yeah, every single day, like that would drive me crazy. That would make me insane. So I was like, let me just, you know, put up and pay rent and let me hit up Taylor. And yeah, that was the start of, you know, something beautiful. <laughs> How long did y'all live together? Or are you in the same room right now? <laughs> no. <laughs> we live two years. Yeah, two years. Okay. So um, you mentioned like, a project or something you're both working on together? Yeah. Can y'all uh, hint at what space the device is in at a very high level? So the device, it's, um, you know what a bag valve mask is? Like in an emergency medicine, they use it, they manually resuscitate patients by placing the mask on their face, around their nose and mouth, and then squeezing an inflatable bag. And so the... We were approached in the class um, by actually a current PhD program uh, person who's in Travis's lab. And he said, you know, that we need work on this. You know, um, this is a problem. So what it does is it just, um, it gives, you know, feedback using biosensors to you know, first responders, you know, talking about how much volume you're delivering, um, you know, how much pressure are you putting into the patient? because. Those are like the main challenges. Um, if you look at the, the data, a lot of people that are experienced with bag valve mass, actually they hyperventilate patients or they'll cause uh, further injury to their lungs and that significantly decreases their chances when, once they get triaged into the hospital. Um, and then also like securing mask seal, you know, you have to place your hand, you have to secure this mask around the mouth. And if you don't, you're pushing air out into just the environment. Or if you don't tilt their head up enough, you're pushing air into their stomach. So these are the kind of the main challenges that we're trying to um, accomplish. And we have some clever solutions that we're using to essentially get around all these challenges. Um, so it's kind of been a fun little engineering project, but essentially that's what it is. It's a, it's a bag valve mask with some neat little additions. We may have to nerd out on offline because um, I did EMT basic training for six months and I now work in respiratory medical devices. So uh, maybe we need to like sync up later, uh, but that's really cool. That's so, really cool. Yeah. So I want to get into like really, I mean, you've both like really given a, a lot of information on this already, but maybe in summary, um, Travis, what your PhD work is really focusing on and then um, what you're planning to do with it, and then tailor what your master's work was and what you're doing now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so my PhD project at least revolves around developing biosensors. So what we're creating is a regenerable biosensor, which is just the way that the science people say for you can reuse it. So okay. if you can refresh a sensor, essentially, that opens the door for a lot of different opportunities in terms of continuous monitoring and as well as tunable sensing with the way that we're accomplishing it. So we're using a resonance-based sensor, which just means it uses sound waves. Or when you detect something using your sensor, it shows up as a peak on the computer. So 
we bind mass of a protein, a cell, a DNA, like whatever uh, biomarker you're interested in. Uh, when you bind mass to our sensor, it sort of acts like a scale and it becomes heavier and the peak shifts uh, downward to the left. So with that, <clears throat> it's sort of like you can bind mass to our sensor to shift the peak, but now we're sort of exploring how we can utilize electronics to like flip that story. You know, let's use electronics to impact the binding of stuff to our sensor. So if you can imagine mm. if we use the sound waves or electronics to knock things off the sensor or hold it at a certain frequency such that nothing binds or you know, only certain things bind, you now have tunable sensing, reusable sensing. Um, Basically, there's a lot of applications in biomanufacturing and developing therapeutics and you know different proteins, but as well as for me, I'm pretty much interested in the healthcare application aspect with uh, different diseases and health conditions, especially when it comes to lifestyle and helping people live you know healthier lifestyles. So the probably the bad way to put it is like imagine you had a COVID test that you could take a hundred times and it still be accurate. Now just like branch head off to any other disease condition or health condition. Like you have a regenerable sensor or sensor that you can use over and over again, and it maintains the same reliability and it's portable, low cost and whatnot. Uh, that does a really, really nice job for, you know, lowering costs, uh, sort of decentralizing medical services outside of hospitals and, you know, central laboratories where yeah. you know, if you're in a rural environment, if you're in, you know, a lot of different countries, uh, you're not going to have access to a lot of these different facilities that you have to, you know, travel to maybe miles or, you know, next day or fly somewhere to, you know, get some of these services. So I'm pretty much interested in after the fact, uh, working on ways to sort of like increase access to biosensors and sort of like the health literacy aspect of how people manage their health. So the project that was presented to uh, for grad school was basically a crash course of how to develop a biosensor. So biosensor sounds like a pretty enabling technology. Is this a new technology? Is this something that's not really out there in use right now? Yeah, so you've probably, the most common one is, you know, glucose meters, glucometers for, you know, diabetes management. Mm -hmm. That's the probably most prevalent biosensor out there. Uh, those things can go continuously for, I think, about two weeks right now. But in my mind, my opinion on science, uh, glucose or diabetes or that as a biomarker, I mean, it's a significant population of people, especially in the United States. So a lot of money gets funneled into that research. So when it comes to biosensors, you will see a lot of people studying glucose and sort of like the other... I guess biomarkers that you're, I guess like lactic acid and you know cortisol for stress and things like that. So I think electronics, you know, we're figuring out figuring out how to miniaturize things, how to you know package things together, how to make batteries last longer. Like all that technology is required to run biosensors in a manner that's you know user friendly. So I think in biomedical engineering and a lot, a lot of different fields over you know the past 10, 15 years, uh, it's a lot of fields coming together. And it's just sort of like, I think a lot of those communication lines are opening right now. It's like even some of the things that we care about as biomedical engineers, I was having a discussion with 
a grad student in chemistry and you're like, oh, we care about this stuff. And they were talking about how I was telling them why we care more about lactic acid and glucose. And they were telling me why they cared more about lipids for like cancer detection. And then like, we just don't marry the two enough because we're, I don't, know, I don't know if it's we're in separate buildings or mm-hmm. you know, the, we just don't have you know, social events or things like that. But there's just like a lot of different things going on. But with biosensors, I think there's a lot of different fields intersecting. But at the same time, I think it's just like, who's paying for what and what projects are getting funded. I had one more question and this is probably stupid given the fact that we've talked about this like for so long at this point, but what characterizes a biosensor versus other types of sensors? I think people have a lot of different definitions, but essentially a biosensor utilizes a recognition element. So something that can attach to a biological agent. So whether it's a protein that binds to another protein or you know, the one half of DNA strand that binds to another DNA strand or, you know, the antigen for like a COVID particle that, mm-hmm. you know, you can put the anti-antigen, which is sort of like what it binds to so that when the particle comes, it binds to it. And you functionalize the surface of a biosensor with a recognition element that's sensitive to sort of like a biomarker or a biological agent that could be a protein, DNA strand, virus, bacteria like you name it but yeah it's essentially anything that's being used to uh, detect something biological but at the same time like anything it's there's there's a debate there but at the essence uh what i explained is what most people characterize as a biosensor that makes sense cool so what's next for you do you know yet for me yeah i've learned to take things one day at a time yep my prelim exam at the end of the semester, that'll sort of give me more of a game plan for what it will take to complete my PhD. And you know, we'll just see what happens from there. Awesome. All right. Taylor asked you this question like 10 minutes ago, but let's like get at it again. So what was your master's work in? Or maybe like, what did you intend your PhD to be in? And then what did you do your master's in? And then what was the thing that made you decide to leave? And then what are you doing now? Yeah, um, so I had no idea what I wanted to do for my PhD, so I'll just say that. That's what the whole rotation was. Um, and I still don't really have like a, like a research passion, so that's kind of why I left. You know, I didn't really like research all that much. Uh, I wanted to do med device, just wanted to make something and, you know, sell it or, you know, get in some kind of company, right? So that's why I got into the master's program. And then, yeah, the master's program is all about um, making medical devices and commercializing them, um, you know, finding the need, going through the whole process. So that's kind of what the master's program specializes in. And then, um, you know, now I'm working at a company called Well Air, and they make sanitization devices. Um, they clean the air or they, they clean surfaces. And the reason I kind of got in was um, my boss, Stephen Grennan. He's kind of like a he makes a lot of patents. He's a serial entrepreneur. And, you know, I think he's a really bright guy. So I kind of wanted to follow his lead. And so now I'm there and I do R&D testing for them. So a lot, um, I mainly work with, uh, you know, our company is composed of three different kind of companies that were all bought up into one, Well Air, 
Um, so I work with Plasma Air and they use ionization technology to sterilize stuff. And I do a lot of the testing for that kind of division of the company, a lot of design of experiments and then uh, VNV testing. So verification validation testing uh, for their products. And then also using those results to um, you know, come up with new product ideas. So, you know, Steven Grennan is the guy I work with and he says, you know, I have this idea, you know, like, let's go test it. He's really passionate about it. So it's kind of fun. And uh, I'll come up with an experiment and I'll run it. So that's actually what I've been working on lately is I just got done with like a, a new batch of testing. I had to run a test, it took 40 hours over the weekend. And the unfortunate part of it is that one of my devices crashed. Oh no. I have no idea when it crashed. Uh, <laughs> So I don't know why it crashed, but it did. Um, so I'll have to rerun that. I'll probably won't do 40 hours because I think that was a little unnecessary the next time. Maybe that's uh, why it's crashed. <laughs> probably, yeah. How big uh, is Will Air? That's, it's a, a medium-sized company. I think we're probably around 150 to okay. 200 employees. Yeah. Cool. But I work with a pretty close-knit team of like 10 people. Mm -hmm. yeah so nice just to kind of round this conversation off and thank you both for providing like so much detail on on what you've been doing I guess for a student listening or maybe like a recent grad you know what would be your advice to them if they're trying to make up their mind about getting a master's in BME or a PhD in BME you know if you could give them one to two sentences of advice what would that be I would say you know if you want to you know, get industry connections and you want to get some hands-on experience with developing medical devices, uh, finding out like what customers need, um, you know, coming up with a new solution to something and then pushing that into market, or you want to get into, you know, be an entrepreneur and make a startup. Obviously there's multiple ways of doing that, um, but the master's program prepares you for that. You, know, you go through the whole process of making a product, commercializing it, making a startup, figuring out what you have to do to do all that and you know, get it into market. So if you lean more towards the entrepreneurial side or you want hands-on experience, industry connections, then I'd say you know, the master's program is a really good fit for that. I guess I would just say for the graduate school, the people that I see enjoy it the most know what they're in it there or know what they're in there for uh, those are the the happiest ones i see at least otherwise it's going to feel like just a job to you <laughs> and it has to be more than a job to you if you want to be happy so i just really think about if there's something that you what's if there's some type of impact or change you want to have on the world or add to sort of the bigger picture of science that's when i would start to consider grad school or if there's somewhere you think you want to be, you know, in a career, but you feel like you're lacking, you know, a certain skill set or something like that, do a different, you know, program for the graduate program. So if you're in BME undergrad, but you want to work with, I don't know, animals or something, but like if you weren't in BME, but you wanted to do more like prosthetics or healthcare applications, like that's for, for me, that's why I went into the biomedical engineering program. But if you wanted to, to do like, there's a skill that you feel like you're missing or a type of you know, work or research that you think would help you get to where you want to be, I would consider doing the 
PhD programs sort of get more expertise and be surrounded by like-minded people and have those conversations and learn from others because you do have sort of like building your network with a lot of the PhD students and your colleagues and people like that, as well as the relationships with the advisor and you know the relationships that the advisor has with other faculty members. And it doesn't hurt to be a be a student. There's a lot of people that want to help students. There's a lot of resources that are only available to students. I know a lot of companies and startups in the area would kill to have students on their team or use some of the resources that are available to even NC State students. So definitely uh, be intentional. I think that would be my advice. Be intentional and you know you don't have to do this alone. Uh, there's no need to reinvent the wheel. People have been in your shoes before, so just ask for help. Uh, get people's opinions, but know that like it's your decision at the end of the day because you're the one living your life. So just be intentional. That's what I would say. Love it. Thank you both so much for your time. And as we mentioned last week, make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel and follow our Instagram page, the BME Grad Podcast for shorts and updates. Yeah, and also make sure to subscribe or follow and leave a review. The BME Grad Podcast is available wherever you get your podcasts. And if you want more information on the podcast and its origins, you can visit bme.unc.edu. Right now, that information is under the news and events tab. Thanks for listening.